Good day, everyone. And here we go with another edition of Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've chosen to join us. Michigan's efforts to vaccinate its residents are chugging along. And as of late last week, the state had administered more than 6 million doses. And we're getting close to the point where half of all Michiganders have received at least one dose of the vaccine. A third are now fully vaccinated. But in Detroit and some other cities, there is a pretty profound lag behind those statewide numbers. Only 28 percent of Detroiters have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Uh, And to try to address this slow rollout, the city's offering walk-up vaccinations now for residents at TCF Center, Northwest Activity Center, Farwell Recreation Center, and the Samaritan Center. No appointments are needed any longer to get a vaccination at those locations. But there's real concern that vaccines are still not maybe easy enough for a lot of Detroiters to get to. And an even bigger concern is that there's simply just not that much demand here. This issue of vaccine hesitancy or resistance to the idea that you need one at all is something that could lead to the pandemic dragging on way longer than it has to in Detroit and taking way more lives than it ever should. We're going to talk all hour about this issue and about possible solutions. We want to hear from you as well. Give us a call And let us know, what do you think about the vaccine? Have you taken the vaccine? Or are you somebody who is still not sure about why this is necessary or whether it's safe? Are you somebody who is waiting for something else to happen, some other piece of information uh, to help you make up your mind? Are you somebody who's had a hard time getting a vaccination, getting to the place where you need to get the vaccination, getting off of work perhaps to be able to do that, or uh, getting transportation to the places where vaccines are available. Uh, We want to hear about all of your uh, vaccine experiences here. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter. Put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation Uh, That way. Uh, Joining us up front to talk about this issue is somebody who has thought an awful lot about it. Uh, Abdul El Sayed is a public health doctor and the former director of the Detroit Health Department. He also, of course, ran for governor as a Democrat in uh, 2018. Uh, Abdul, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for having me for such an important conversation. Yeah. So, So the reason I wanted to have you here today, Abdul, was a conversation that uh, you and I had on Tim Skubik's uh, statewide politics show off the record uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking about uh, the slow rate of vaccines here in Detroit and what should be done. And you talked about something I hadn't really heard a lot of people bring up. And you talked about what you described as a last mile problem that you think we're having here in Detroit. In other words, this idea that Maybe there's a lot of people who would take the vaccine, who want to take the vaccine, but there's some barrier that exists between them and getting to that point uh, that prevents them from from doing it. Let's let's start there and have you explain to the listeners uh, what that what that problem is. 
That's right, Stephen. And, and that problem is one that's it's not unique to, to vaccines. It's, it's actually a, a real challenge that anyone trying to deliver anything has, which is that the last mile of the delivery is always the most complex. And it's particularly challenging when you're working in a community like Detroit, where access to transit and um, access to the quote unquote usual business hours uh, is somewhat limited among folks uh, for whom poverty is a real challenge and uh, who to address that poverty are sometimes work, forced to work uh, you know, hours that are, are made for them uh, only a couple of days in advance, uh, often working multiple jobs, uh, often in households that um, one wouldn't be thinking of as the quote unquote traditional household, uh, oftentimes with, with multiple different generations living in the home. And um, if, we, if, we're, if we're serious about solving uh, the, the vaccine problem in a community like Detroit, we've got to be really, really serious uh, about this last mile problem. That's not to say that vaccine hesitancy isn't, isn't an issue, but that is to say um, that vaccine hesitancy, I don't think is the monolith that we, we think of it as. I think even for folks who we would call vaccine hesitant, uh, their hesitancy is some combination about, you know, worrying about the, the vaccine itself, but also uh, being unwilling ultimately to have to try and solve the last mile problem for themselves. And so we've got to sort of think about the, the issue of vaccine access as some combination between uh, taking on the demand issue of, of vaccine hesitancy and also solving the last mile issue uh, that, that actually creates vaccine access. Now, of course, we've seen the administration here in the city and the administration statewide take on the task of making sure that vaccines uh, are available and that people are encouraged to to, to get them. Uh, I wonder what your assessment is of how that's going. Uh, the, the the effort has been extraordinary, and yet here in the in the city, as I said in the open, we're only at about twenty eight percent, which is, I mean, a, a dreadfully low number. Uh, at at the state level, we're we're doing better, but we're still just trying to get to that fifty percent um, number, which is nowhere near the herd immunity that I think everybody is hoping that we will be able to accomplish. Are are the policymakers or the lawmakers in this state doing what they should be doing to make this work? You know, it's hard um, in a moment like this where we are watching. Uh, the, the the extraordinary effort of uh, the state and the, the city government to do a thing that is truly deeply extraordinary. I mean, trying to vaccinate an entire population in the course of a year, we have to appreciate that this is, you know, the public health uh, version of a moonshot. What they're trying to do is extremely hard. And so the point that I'm making here is not to take anything away from the effort and the work, but it is to say uh, that that there, there's more that needs to be done because in, in this case, the proof is in the pudding. You, you can see and count the vaccine numbers. And we know that in order to get to herd immunity, to actually uh, uh, bring this pandemic to heal, we're going to need uh, upwards of 70 to 80% of people vaccinated. And we're just nowhere near that. And so, um, you know, this is not to take anything away from, uh, from the amazing work that's being done uh, at the city and the state level, but that is to say um, there's more that could be done. And I, I think that if we were to think about this issue rather than as two separate issues, a vaccine supply issue and a vaccine demand issue as one issue, I actually think we could we could have a lot more success. So one of the most amazing things that the the, the Doug administration uh, has started to do is go door to door and and have educators talking to people about uh, about vaccines. But that doesn't solve the last mile problem, right? You're taking on the hesitancy problem. But even if you were able to get somebody who was previously hesitant uh, to, to 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 realize that they they in fact do want a vaccine, 
it's quite hard um, to to figure out where to go, how to get there, and to clear up the schedule and the time uh, and, and and to solve that last mile problem. Um, at the same time, right, there are some amazing clinics that are that are walk-in folks who go there uh, and, and take them on, and yet a lot of folks don't choose to do that because there remains this vaccine hesitancy. And my sense of this is that we've got to bring the solution to the demand problem and the, the solution to the supply problem into one space. And I would love to see uh, vaccinators going door to door with vaccine available, figuring out how uh, to make sure that those vaccines can stay refrigerated in a van um, and say, listen, here's why we think it's so critical for you to do this. We've got vaccine here if you're interested in doing that. But let me talk you through my own my own uh, journey, my own perspective on this. Uh, have you talked to this pastor? Have you talked to this uh, block club captain? Um, ha have you seen uh, uh, this about the about the vaccines? And I think if we sort of think about having a vaccine available in that moment when someone uh, surpasses their vaccine he hesitancy and is willing, and the solution to the last mile problem is right there for them, I think we'd have a lot more success. Of course, logistically, this is really hard to do. And that's why I don't take anything away from the efforts uh, that state and, and local officials are, are putting in. Uh, but it is to say that if we're serious about solving the problem, proof's in the pudding, we've got to get those numbers up and we've got to be thinking about this problem as one problem rather than as two separate problems that have two separate solutions. So, so what you're talking about there, though, is maybe by orders of magnitude, a larger undertaking than what we've seen so far. I mean, you would need a massive amount of uh, human power to do that. You would need a much bigger organization than I think we have here in the city of Detroit, even given all of the things that have been mobilized to, to make this work. I, this, would be, this would be terribly expensive and terribly difficult. Uh, do you imagine that we would be able to to muster the resources to do what you're talking about? I do not disagree with you at all, uh, Stephen, that this is going to be a massive lift. At the same time, uh, there is no problem in that we are facing, that we have faced, uh, I would argue, uh, over the past 50 years that is as critical as this. And I just want to step back for a second and explain why achieving herd immunity is so critical. Um, you know, the, the, the impact of a vaccine, the, there are two. One is the impact it has for you, the fact that uh, it renders you uh, more immune to the virus, substantially more immune to the virus, which is a big deal for you. But the bigger impact is, in fact, on the population level. And um, I sort of think about vaccines as a blanket that you put on a pandemic fire. If you, if you smother a fire with a blanket, <clears throat> then you can put the fire out. But if you slowly feed the blanket into the fire, it just becomes fuel for the fire. Hmm. And what this virus has shown us it can do is uh, to evolve, to um, slip past some of our immune mechanisms, whether they be natural, the kind that you get after you get a disease, or they be uh, vaccine mediated. And it hasn't happened yet, but we know that it is more than theoretically possible. Every single day that people remain unvaccinated and therefore vulnerable to the disease is a day where the virus has the potential uh, to evade our vaccines overall, somewhat like the, um, the the slowly feeding the, the the blanket to the fire scenario. And so this is mission critical for us. If you look at the cost of this pandemic in terms uh, of lives lost most importantly, but also in terms of livelihoods lost and uh, in damage, uh, it, it is it is unparalleled uh, to to almost anything we've we've experienced thus far. And so yes, it is going to be a big lift to do something like this. But if we're serious about solving this problem, and I would argue that we have every reason to be extremely serious about it, then, um, then I think it's worth doing. And so my question is, 
do we have the political will given the challenges of this pandemic? Um, and if we do, then uh, then then I believe that we ought to keep going, keep thinking about how to do this. And you know, this is a problem uh, to which many many billions of dollars have been dedicated. I think that um, now we have to be asking, all right, how do we take that, spend it most efficiently, and if we need more to be able to achieve herd immunity, uh, can we get that so that we can finally get there and move beyond this pandemic? Hmm. I'm talking with uh, Abdul El Sayed, a public health physician and former director of the Detroit Health Department, also was a candidate for governor in the Democratic primary in 2018 here in the state of Michigan. We're talking, though, about slow and low vaccine rates in places like Detroit, also low rates here in the state of Michigan, to be honest. This issue of vaccine hesitancy that may be causing those slow uh, vaccination rates, way below what we had expected uh, where we would be at this point, and far away from the level of herd immunity that we that we need in order for the coronavirus pandemic to really uh, stop uh, affecting our lives as much as it does. Um, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, we would love to hear what your thinking is about vaccines. Uh, are you somebody who's taken the vaccine? Uh, tell us why. Tell us how easy it was to get it here in the city of Detroit or how difficult it was. Uh, give us a sense of what's going on in the communities outside of Detroit here in southeast Michigan as well. Uh, but we also want to hear from you if you're somebody who is saying you're not going to take uh, the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. Or maybe you took the first dose and then didn't go back for the second dose, something that is happening in what I would say is surprising numbers uh, here in Michigan. Uh, tell us why. Tell us what the barrier is for you uh, to making sure that you're vaccinated against this this terrible disease that has killed uh, so many people in our community. Uh, what would it take for you to get a vaccine? Is it a practical barrier that you face or is it uh, a psychological one, one that uh, you just don't feel as though you can take uh, this vaccine. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to include you uh, that way. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, It is possible that the last mile may be an issue, but I believe it is way more People who just don't trust the science. Too rushed is often heard. A friend of mine swears he isn't getting it, and that's after he contracted uh, COVID-19. Uh, Abdul, you were the health director here in Detroit, and, and you know Detroiters quite well. Um, give us a sense of how deep you think this hesitancy issue is. I, this this uh, story that Big Neo is relating is one that I've heard uh, from a lot of people. Uh, you talk to folks in the city and they are just saying, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't trust. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I, I don't disagree with Big Neo. I, I, I think that hesitancy is a, is a real challenge. And, you know, even before this pandemic, uh, vaccine rates in the city of Detroit were the lowest in the state of Michigan, um, and this was before we had a major pandemic. And this uh, vaccine, of course, is um, is the newest vaccine, or these vaccines are the newest vaccines in existence, and uh, they were uh, developed in the course of a year. I think there are a couple of different issues at play here. The first is 
a baseline mistrust of the the biomedical establishment, mm-hmm. which, um, given the history of uh, of the biomedical establishment, particularly in the exploitation of, of black people, um, that is understood. And it's not just a historical issue. It's also the fact that uh, too many black folks today still walk into clinics and hospitals and feel uh, that the, the, the folks um, who are supposed to be taking care of for them uh, do not value them appropriately. And they are uh, actively uh, discriminated against in ways big and small. And, and, and that is a real barrier to trusting the system. The other part of it is also, you know, baseline understanding of of um, of science, and I don't think we do a good job as scientists and science communicators uh, explaining how the scientific process works and why it is that we were able to create a these vaccines in such record time. It's not that you know we came up with the idea about how to produce these vaccines uh, overnight. It's that these ideas have been in development for uh, for decades, and um, we just so happen to have the right use case in the context of this new pandemic uh, to, uh, to to be able to leverage these new uh, well-thought-through, well-researched uh, platforms to, to create a vaccine in record time. I, I think the third piece of it, though, is, is also the way that we we talk about this issue. And I think, unfortunately, part of you know the, the challenge that we see in society generally right now is polarization, whether it's political polarization uh, or polarization around a number uh, of different issues. And part of that, I think, is a function of the way that we, we engage with each other, largely driven by social media. Mm. If conflict creates clicks and clicks are what uh, what what uh, what allow people to buy ads, um, then conflict is 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 part of the uh, recipe. And um, <clears throat> I think when you create different tribes, the, the folks who are against vaccines versus the folks who are for vaccines, it tends to push people into their tribe um, further. And um, I think that instead of engaging with vaccine hesitancy as sort of a monolith, there is a space for us to step back and say, well, you know, skepticism is what hesitancy is born of. And skepticism is a function of science. In fact, you cannot be a good scientist without being skeptical. Every great scientific discovery started with skepticism. But in science, the antidote to skepticism is evidence. And I always ask folks who are hesitant to say, listen, take all of the information that you read about this, whether whether it's coming from me or coming from someone on television or coming from your Uncle Fred on Facebook. And I want you to apply the same the same skepticism to all three of those. Ask people to bring you the evidence, bring you the data, and then weigh that. And the last point is I always try and remind folks about the context. We wouldn't ask you to take these vaccines in a normal circumstance. In fact, if somebody before 2019 had come up to me and said, hey, we've got this safe and effective vaccine, I'd say, for what? Hmm. Right. But we're not in a uh, that context anymore. We're in the middle of a, of a serious pandemic that has taken 573,000 lives. And I don't want to be one of those lives. I don't want anybody I love to be one of those lives that gets lost. And so if it's getting, leaving myself exposed to COVID or it's getting the safe and effective vaccine, I pick the vaccine every time. And so I think we've got a mixture of a number of challenges that exist right now that are making this this problem particularly hard. Um, But I do think that if we are thoughtful about trying to solve it and we bring uh, our best evidence forward, we bring empathy to this problem and we make sure that we are bringing supply right up to folks' door as we're having these conversations, I do believe we can get past it and it's mission critical for us to do so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. 
And when we come back, we're going to continue this really wonderful conversation with uh, Abdul Al-Sayed about vaccines and how we get them going a little faster here in the city of Detroit and in the state of Michigan. And when we come back, we're going to get to your calls. Bernadette and Redford, Abby and Royal Oak, Jeremy in Southfield and Ben in Metamora will hear from you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll also get to more of the comments that we have on social media. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined. My guest is Abdul El-Sayed, a public health doctor and former director of the Detroit Health Department. We're talking about uh, vaccines, uh, the slow rollout of vaccines here in the city of Detroit, uh, the hesitancy that may be causing that, and also the practical barriers to people actually getting to the places where the vaccines are available. That might help explain our low numbers. Uh, We also have pretty low numbers at the the state level as well. They're higher than Detroit, but not anywhere near where they should be at this point. Uh, And so we want to hear from you, uh, whether you live in Detroit or outside of it, about your experience so far with vaccines. Have you taken them? Have you not taken them? Are you confident Uh, about the safety of the vaccines and the necessity of them? uh, Or are you still kind of skeptical and waiting for more information or some sort of critical event to make you feel more comfortable with the vaccines? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's (coughs) 313, excuse me, 577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Let's start with Bernadette in Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. I want to describe uh, my experience. I have a lot of negative things to say as a lifelong Detroit resident about the city, but this vaccine project has been smooth. What happened is I called the number. Uh, I wasn't placed on phone. I talked to a live person. I got my uh, schedule for the first and second vaccine. This whole process took maybe three minutes. I liked it because in Old Redford, where I live, the last block on the borderline of Detroit, I wasn't going downtown because them meter maids be on the wild. <laughs> but when it was in my neighborhood at uh, Fellowship Chapel, Okay. Smell. Oh, it was wonderful. It looked like Lourdes, though, because it was all people over 65. And I thought, well, <laughs> I'm really cooler than that, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to die. Yeah. The other point I want to make is vaccines. The success of vaccines in general has uh, led people to think that, uh, you know, diseases are a thing of the past. Well, we haven't had polio or uh, 
measles or chicken and pot because we have vaccines for those things. And you young people haven't experienced um, the detriment of those kinds of diseases. So vaccine success has allowed people to think, well, diseases like that, man, those are in third world countries. Hmm. But I can't say enough good things about whoever is putting together this system for um, uh, scheduling appointments for vaccination. Yeah, Bernadette. It, other than uh, the TCF Center. Yeah, uh, Bernadette, it really is remarkable. I mean, I, I also live in the city and, and got my vaccination through the city at TCF, both doses, both times. It was one of the most efficient experiences I ever had with any government, let alone uh, Detroit government, which, uh, you know, we all know that uh, the, the bureaucracy often confounds us as Detroiters uh, trying to get basic things done. But this has really been handled uh, really well. And it's one of the things that for me, it makes it so disappointing that we haven't gotten this to more people. I mean, this is something that the city has actually invested a lot of time and energy and resources into getting right. And uh, it's possible for us to be at that 70%, I feel like, uh, at, at this point, given all of uh, what they've done, it's it's other things that are uh, that are in the way. Abdul, I wonder if you have a reaction to Bernadette as well. Well, I, I'm really excited to hear that, Bernadette, and, and thank you um, so much for sharing your experience, because I think those experiences are really critical. And, and the broader point here is actually that for folks who are worried about this, I, I think sometimes we think about this issue as being an issue that, that government uniquely has the responsibility for, and that's true. But all of us have a role to play. And in Bernadette sharing her experience, whether it's live on the air today or uh, in person to her friends, whether it be you know folks in her neighborhood or, or folks she goes to church with or uh, folks in her family, that really does matter a lot. And so I'd encourage all of you all listening today, thinking about, okay, how do I do my part to make sure that you're, you're public about your experience and saying, look, here's why I got mine. Here's what it meant, means for me. Here are the freedoms that I feel like I have. Um, I think that really matters. And so, Bernadette, thank you. Uh, kudos to you for getting your vaccine. Thank you for sharing your experience. And um, that kind of thing is what's going to really take on uh, vaccine hesitancy uh, in our communities. Yeah. Yeah. Bernadette, again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Abby in Royal Oak. Abby, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Abdul, thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I actually had a question for Abdul. I am, I've gotten both my, my shots. I'm like two weeks out for my second and I am liberal. A lot of my friends are like very progressive. Yet I'm noticing that so many of them are not getting their vaccines because they're worried about their fertility in the future, which is really interesting to me since I've like looked it up myself. It doesn't seem like there's any evidence of that. Yet I'm seeing so many of my peers like from different circles each coming to me voicing their concerns with that. So I just wanted to see if there's any merit to that Mm. or like what I should say to them when they're speaking to me about this, because I don't, it's a very personal subject. I don't want to ever say, you know, like, you know, I don't want to invalidate their fears, but it just is interesting to me. Abby, that's, I have not heard, I've not heard that before. Uh, I'm really glad you called and and shared that because you are hearing it. Uh, I think it's an example of, Again, the the ways that just one small piece of miss or disinformation that's put out there can take hold and and get a, a lot of people 
worried about what uh, what they're doing. Uh, Abdul, what's your response to to Abby? Yeah, Abby. First, thanks for the question. And um, a, a, there there is no evidence that there is any influence of uh, this vaccine uh, on uh, on fertility. Um, that that's number one. Number two. Um, I think it's always helpful when folks bring this to you. I think sometimes we want to we want to push back, and um, I always I always say if you if you have a choice between winning the argument or winning the future, win the future. And what I mean by that is is ask folks where they got that from. Right? Was it a friend of a friend? Was it an offhand comment? Did they read it on social media? And ask them to interrogate that source. You say, look, well, according to the CDC and according to the 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 the, the folks who have uh, researched this vaccine, uh, there's no evidence of that. But you've got another piece of evidence um, that suggests otherwise. Let's bring our evidence, our, our data to that and ask which of these is is more is, is likely to be true. And um, and so I, I think it's helpful to walk folks through it rather than be like, that's preposterous and absurd. Uh, you're, 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 you know, you're spouting mis or disinformation rather than attacking that person, help them to bring their own skepticism to this issue and bring that empathy uh, and help them to, to answer that for themselves. The, the other point is always remind folks about the costs of not getting vaccinated. Say, listen, you know, you know, one of the most important things that affects your fertility is being alive. Um, and we know that uh, this, this virus uh, has, has killed many, many people um, uh, in these age groups. And so, um, you know, I, I, I just read a story of a, of a young woman with two kids uh, in her, her mid-30s um, who is fighting for her life in, in a hospital right now. And so um, it's important for us always to remind folks of the context uh, and help them to see that this is a cost-benefit uh, trade-off and, and the, the, the costs of not getting vaccinated are high and the benefits of getting vaccinated are also high. And so, um, you know, the, the, the best decision here, the evidence-driven decision is to get vaccinated. But I really appreciate you bringing this forward. Yeah. Uh, Abby, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Lily in Ann Arbor. Lily, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi, Abdul and Steve. Thanks for um, having me on, and thanks also for all you all do. Um, so I'm calling. We uh, have a, a mom who's elderly, and we really want her to be vaccinated. But we have a sibling who is an avid anti-vaxxer. And so um, we're, we're not, even with the dot points that you just mentioned, Abdul, we're not having success in kind of navigating these conversations. And I'm just wondering if you have advice for kind of these very substantial family disagreements around the vaccine um, and how to navigate them. Mm. Wow. Abdul? I'm really sorry to hear that. That's really hard. And um, it's particularly hard when uh, someone you love is is sort of in the crossfire um, between this. I think um, continuing to, to 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 press your case calmly uh, and uh, and with the evidence is really important. I think um, you know, in, engaging mom, I don't know what the circumstances around uh, mom are and, and and whether or not she um, has the ability to make this decision for herself. but um, but it, I think it's really important for you to keep pushing the issue. Um, and in the interim, make sure uh, that there is not a scenario where, you know, unvaccinated mom unvaccinated is uh, exposed to people who could be carrying the virus. Um, but that really is a really hard circumstance. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that you're uh, you're dealing with it. But but I would keep pushing. And I, and I would just say that um, if you can have those conversations in ways that open people up, uh, to um, to to not feeling like they have to defend their position, but rather to finding the truth with you, it can be helpful. Not saying that you're not already doing that, but saying that keep pressing, keep finessing, 
these these um, conversations, I always I always tell folks, is it's it's always better to have a finesse conversation than a forced conversation, which it clearly sounds like you're doing, Lily. Um, and I'm wishing you well uh, in this situation, but it's really hard. Okay, uh, Abdul El Sayed, always great to talk with you, and it was really really great to have you here uh, to help our listeners understand more about this issue. Thanks so much for joining us. Stephen, thank you so much for shining light on this issue and, and for having me today. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, The Atlantic's Daniel Engber is going to join me to talk about the factors that are contributing to vaccine hesitancy and resistance nationally. We're going to get a sense of what things look like around the country. We're going to also continue to hear from you on the phones. Jeremy in Southfield, Ben in Metamora. We'll hear from you next as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you're thinking about the vaccines, whether you've gotten them, whether you won't get them, and tell us why and what it will take to get you to get that shot in your arm. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We want to continue the conversation around vaccine hesitancy, but I want to zoom out the lens a little bit and take a look at the other factors that are having an impact on some people's decision to forego the vaccine. For some, the historical distrust is layered and complex. For others, the pandemic and subsequent refusal to get the vaccine is an opportunity to demonstrate undying loyalty to a dangerous political ideology. And for others, the reason might be something entirely different. Regardless of the particulars, we've gone from a slow vaccine rollout here in the U.S. to vaccines galore, and now wavering enthusiasm seems to be giving way to an uncertain future, as America's fate now lies in the hands of the vaccine hesitant. Daniel Engber is a senior editor at The Atlantic, and he joins us now to talk about his recent piece on this very topic. Daniel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on. So when you wrote this piece about a month ago, you said the outlook on vaccine hesitancy was mixed, but that Americans' overall acceptance of the vaccines seemed to have been increasing in recent months. So what are we seeing now as far as polling on attitudes toward the vaccine and taking them? Yeah, I mean, I've been kind of fixated on the polls, which is always dangerous, as we've seen. It can lead you in the wrong direction. Um, But one of the things that comes through in the vaccine polling is that things are just not really changing much at all. Um, If you look back over the really long stretch, I mean, even to the early days of the pandemic when the polls were just about, you know, a hypothetical vaccine. Um, And that makes me think, you know, for all the efforts that have been made. The, the core group of vaccine-hesitant people remains the same size today as it was then. Hmm. So, so as I said in the intro, a lot of this falls along partisan lines. You've got a, a lot of conservatives who are saying, look, I, I don't want to be part of this because I don't believe in all of the things that I've been told over the last year about COVID-19. Can you talk a little more about that partisan divide and and how hardened it might be? 
Sure. I mean, one of the things, one of the truly bizarre um, polling, piece of polling data that you'll see is that people who have been vaccinated generally report they're more concerned about getting COVID than people who have not been vaccinated. Hmm. I mean, they're more, not they were more concerned and that's why they got vaccinated. They are more concerned even now, hmm. more than two weeks after their second shot than people who haven't been vaccinated. And so I think, again, you know, what you're seeing there is people who took the situation more seriously to begin with were, of course, at the front of the line to get their shots. Um, and then that factor does break down on party lines. People, you know, Democrats generally for months and months now have been, uh, have, have said they're more concerned about the pandemic than Republicans. So, um, I mean, just from those first principles, you could kind of see how this is going to play out. You're going to have much higher rates of vaccination among Democrats than Republicans. Independents are falling right in the middle, again, as you might expect from what we knew about how worried people were about getting sick. So what is it that we should be doing about this hesitancy? Is national policy sort of configured at this point in a way that that will convince people eventually that this is important? Or are we facing the prospect that the United States might not reach the kind of herd immunity that we we needed the vaccines for in the in the first place and Kind of this kind of uncertain future of, you know, masks forever and limited public uh, public availability for restaurants and stores and things like that. I mean, how how close are we to getting hold of this, and and what still needs to happen? Well, I should I should tell you, I'm kind of a, a vaccine hesitancy nihilist. I mean, in the sense that I I've come to think that you know, again, these numbers are just um, so sticky, like they don't really move. Um, and that's not how I felt all along the way. You know, in, in January, it looked like um, vaccine acceptance was on the rise. Um, it seemed to me just intuitively that, um, you know, this is a situation, as, as the end of the pandemic came into view, people would get more excited about, you know, a way out. And also as vaccines were given out and, um you know, there were no serious side effects. Um, you know, we have this issue with Johnson and Johnson, but it's just an incredibly rare um, occurrence. And most people aren't getting Johnson and Johnson in the U.S. anyway. So I was kind of thinking, you know, this all, all the people who are feeling hesitant, you know, they're going to be seeing this and there's going to be a strong urge to move into the um, acceptance column. And it's just not really happening mm. that way. Um and I, I've come to think of it, you know, the way our electoral politics works, where, you know, you have these constituencies that are really, really um, set in stone in, in what their voting behaviors are going to be. And mm -hmm. then there's this, you know, pool of undecided voters um, in, you know, who, who are geographically separate, um, who are ideologically separate from the rest. And how everything plays out in, to some extent is just how those undecided voters break. I think we're seeing something like that for vaccines. There's, you know, maybe 20 percent. A month ago when I wrote the piece, um, you had this 
people in the maybe category. They tell pollsters they weren't sure they were going to wait and see on the vaccine. That was about 20 percent. That number is going down um, because a bunch of those people have just decided to get vaccinated. But on the other side, you've got the people who've been saying, no, I'm not going to get vaccinated or I'm very likely not going to get vaccinated. And that pool has been very stable for pretty much a year now at about 20 percent. So I I think there's a long way of saying I think what we're looking at is, you know, a a ceiling for what percentage of American adults are going to get vaccinated. And it looks like it's about 80 percent, which would be great in terms of um, pushing us towards herd immunity. Um, But the floor is, you know, maybe 70 percent. So we're going to it seems to be very likely whatever we do in terms of trying to encourage people, we're going to be in that range. So it's, it's, you know, can you can you push it up to 80 or is it going to top out at 70? Um, that's really that's that matters that, you know, lives are at stake with that. Um, but I, I just want to be clear that, you know, we're talking about a narrow band of 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 what is um, amenable to, you know, outreach efforts. Um, policy decisions. I, I think we're we can't overestimate. You know, we can't. There's nothing we're going to do that's going to get us up to 95 hmm. percent. Um, as much as as that might be, you know, wonderful for public health. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Daniel Engber. He's a senior editor at the Atlantic. Uh, wrote a piece last month about vaccine hesitancy uh, at the national level. Uh, we're talking about what will maybe move some of that uh, hesitancy into the column of people who are actually going to take the vaccine so that we can get to 70 percent or maybe higher, uh, which is when we can start talking about herd immunity to COVID-19. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. We're talking this hour about vaccines and vaccine hesitancy. Are you someone who's taken uh, the COVID-19 vaccines? Uh, Call and tell us how that went here in Detroit or in Southeast Michigan, uh, how smooth the process was, how easy it was to get an appointment and get there for both doses. Uh, We also want to hear from you, though, if you're somebody who is not taking the vaccine, somebody who is maybe skeptical about uh, the safety, uh, skeptical about uh, the necessity for the vaccine, or someone who's just had a hard time getting an appointment or getting to the appointments uh, to make sure you get both shots. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ben in Metamora. Ben, what's on your mind? Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. Uh Um, I I really wanted to voice some things that I'm hearing from people in the area, just opinions that I've heard over campfires, et cetera, um, about hesitation and um, about how there's been hesitation from the people of America to get this vaccination, um, but also the political hesitation that went on during kind of as the virus ramped up and the reactions that uh, politicians had to this. And granted, I know that we haven't faced anything like this since over 100 years that, you know, even with the greatest science and level of preparedness, we would never really be able to get a hold on something like this. Uh, But I guess really what I've been hearing from my friends and myself is uh, the lack of shutting down airports. 
and airport travel. Mm. I think that really has hurt Michigan greatly um, this spring break, seeing a huge surge of the youth um, of our state, you know, traveling to Florida for spring break and the infection rates therein. Um, having states that are so diverse with their reaction to this virus mm-hmm. and and allowing travel from state to state uh, is really dangerous, I think, that we've learned. We've learned that restaurants and the spread um, through bars and restaurants also were critical. Um, so I guess I think a lot of hesitation from the people in the state who are wondering about, should I take this vaccine that's been rolled out under emergency uh, measures scientifically, if that's the Band-Aid that really um, yeah. is going to work, you know, over this larger problem. Right. Um, uh, ben, that, Ben, I, I, I really appreciate the call on that perspective. Um, uh, Daniel, I, I wonder, is it that, I think what Ben's getting at here is that there's still some other policy decisions that could be made that would stop the spread of, of COVID-19. Now, that doesn't deal with the long-term uh, issue of, of, of getting to herd immunity. But, uh, you know, the ways in which we're um, making those decisions, I think, also has an effect on all of this. Yeah, I think what, what Ben's saying, you know, makes sense in that um, if you get to a point where you just don't trust that the government is approaching this the right way, if you, if you lose faith in the public health authorities um, because you've seen a bunch of really bad decisions taken, um, could that you know could that make people more hesitant to take the vaccine? I, I, I certainly seems uh, plausible for some. I, I would imagine also there are others for whom um, you know a, a surge in cases um, like you're seeing in, in in Michigan would encourage them. You know, if they were previously thinking, eh, maybe I don't need to, when when you see what the rates are, that that pushes people in the other direction. So I think you know those, those bad, uh, you know, any potential bad policy decisions that lead to greater spread of the disease could could kind of go both ways in terms of how they affect vaccine hesitancy. But I mean, the other thing that came to mind uh, listening to Ben was that there are these policy decisions about vaccine access. Mm-hmm. Um, that are just so crucial because, you know, you can measure how many people are willing to get vaccinated and how many people are unwilling. But if, if, it's, if there are people who want to get the vaccine and simply can't do it or it's too inconvenient, I mean, that's, that seems like the, the, the first way to, to get the numbers up um, in terms of public policy. How do you make sure everyone who wants it gets it? Yeah. Yeah. Ben, thanks very much for the call and uh, the comments. Let's go to Carrie in Lincoln Park. Gary, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I would be considered politically conservative on most of my policy stands, voting, whatever you want to call it. However, from the very beginning of this issue, and I was following it mostly through public radio, since WHO was trying to avoid the use of the word pandemic, mm-hmm. and I've been listening to the details. And when I started hearing a political divide about this thing, I was surprised and disgusted. Now, in my household, there are three of us, me, my wife, our oldest son. We've all had the, the illness. I had to be mm. hospitalized for 12 days. Oh, no. We all went for the vaccine at the first opportunity. And from the beginning of this issue, my position has not changed. The virus is nothing to fool around with. 
We need to follow the best information we have as it develops. Mm -hmm. And it should not be a political issue because the virus does not care about politics. Mm -hmm. It just does what viruses do. Yeah. So, um, so Carrie, I, I, I'm curious. Uh, since you since you self-identify as as conservative, what's your reaction to your fellow conservatives who are saying really different things? And and are you able to have conversations with them about this? Uh, you know, that, that that maybe bring them over to 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 the side of kind of sensibility uh, on all of, on all of this stuff. Well, intriguingly, I have friends on both sides of the political divide. Mm -hmm. um, most of my conversations, if you want to call it that, have been in the form of back and forths on Facebook posts. Uh, but I've consistently tried to push what I consider the rational arguments mm -hmm. and to... Uh, discourage the idea of making the issue a political football. Um, I don't see a lot of, I, I very seriously doubt that I've swayed anybody. <laughs> I've had people kind of sit there and grump and other people go, well, yeah, of course, who already thought that way. Yeah. So changing minds, I doubt it. Yeah. Um, okay. Most people, most people pick emotionally a point of view and then bend the entire force of their minds around uh, to support yeah. it. Yeah. Carrie, um, I really appreciate the call uh, and, and your thoughts there. Uh, Daniel Engelberg, we've only got about 30 seconds left, but I want to get you to respond to Carrie and talk about, you know, how do we depoliticize, I guess, at least part of this issue? I mean, I, that, that, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do there. I mean, there yeah. are studies that, that show that um, vaccination acceptance rates you know, vary with which party controls the White House. So, you know, um, hesitancy among Democrats will increase when the de there's a, a Democratic administration and vice versa. So I think some of that stuff is just, you know, baked in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there, there's only so much you can do about it, except for, again, giving access to the people who want it and making sure, you know, you're, you're putting out the correct information for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Daniel Engber, senior editor at The Atlantic. It was great to have you here with us. Thanks so much for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. Duke University Law Professor Brandon L. Garrett is going to talk about his new book, Autopsy of a Crime Lab, Exposing the Flaws in Forensics. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.